Good morning. Welcome uh, to this worship service of the Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. All of you here in person and all of you joining us uh, online, welcome. Uh, for the visitors here today, if you have not previously, we would encourage you to pick up a, a welcome packet there in the North X, the foyer, that has more information about the church and uh, some other goodies which we would like for you to have, but mainly the opportunity to learn a little bit more about the church and also see that as, as our uh, welcome to you and our appreciation for you uh, coming today. We have also on the, the inside of each aisle a friendship register that uh, would ask that, that you, uh, the person on the end of the aisle, uh, take possession of the register, register your attendance. We would like to know that you're here, have the opportunity to, uh, to make note of that and to reach out and have you uh, know that we uh, recognize your attendance today. So thank you for doing that. Also, you, you may notice that if, you, if you're not a regular attender or this is your first time here, you may notice that some of us, many of us, are dressed a little more informally than normal. And it's, uh, it's not just because it's been hot outside, but uh, we, uh, we have today, after the service, a patriotic uh, lunch, picnic, um, just a little bit ahead of the 4th of July celebration, but we're doing it today. Uh, all the food is being provided by the church, so if you, were, if you came today and said, oh, I didn't bring anything, well, you weren't supposed to. That's a good thing. So but everyone is welcome. As soon as we're finished with the service, they're already cooking back there. Uh, it's going to be a, a wonderful time of fellowship, um, and so please uh, stay and participate in that uh, at the end of the service. Also, a special treat, uh, right at 1230, the Kona Ice uh, van will show up uh, and so we uh, and we'll be here for about an hour beginning at about 1230 uh, I asked if they if they had daiquiris and I, apparently the, the, <laughs> this is not a daiquiri day so we're a uh, regular Kona ice uh, truck today so please uh, anticipate that at 1230 uh, and and enjoy that uh, all, there are many other announcements about the activities of the church in the bulletin and I, I encourage you uh, later on today to, to make note of that and, and see all the uh, activities that are going on in the life of the church. You know, there's a, uh, a Hallmark Cards uh, advertising campaign that many of us remember from about 30, 40 years ago that their, their, their tag was always uh, uh, Hallmark Cards. They cared enough to send the very best. And, and that's what uh, Amy and Jeff have done for us today, where Lindsay Lipscomb uh, is again uh, with us today at the piano and uh, bringing our message today someone familiar to uh, all of us old timers uh, Dr. Joe King who was the senior pastor here 2000-2012 uh, and we welcome him back today uh, in the pulpit. So now please uh, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Lindsay. We're going to focus our attention this morning on Psalm 100 as we call to worship and prepare our hearts to meet with our God this morning in worship. So to notice what the psalmist says about worship and how we are to worship. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to this place this morning to worship because you are worthy of our worship. And the one thing that we will do through all eternity that we do here on earth is worship. And we join together, Father, as a community of believers to give you praise, to give you glory, to adore you for who you are, for your sovereignty, for your watchful care upon us. And, oh God, we bow now, asking your presence to be very real to us in this next few moments, that you would get all the glory and all the praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together and let's sing hymn number 441. Jesus shall reign. Hymn number 
Would you please be seated? We want to confess to the Lord our sins, and sin is not just something we do. Sin can be something that we even think in our heart of lust. And we need to confess our sins and acknowledge our sins to the Lord. And it's this time of worship that we want to gather together to do that. And I'd like to read Psalm 139, verses 23 through verses 24. The psalmist says this, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But the next verse says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us all unrighteousness. I want to ask this morning that we bow for a personal time of worship in that we are confessing our sins quietly and silently before the Lord, and then that we would once again corporately confess our sin in unison. Let's pray together. our corporate in unison of what we believe. Grant, Almighty God, that as we are prone to every kind of wickedness and are easily led away to imitate it, when there is any excuse for going astray and any opportunity is offered, O grant that being strengthened by the help of thy Holy Spirit, we may continue in purity of faith And that what we have learned concerning thee, that thou art a spirit, may so profit us that we may worship thee in spirit and with a sincere heart and never turn aside after the corruptions of the world, nor think we can deceive thee, but may we so devote our souls and our bodies to thee that our life may in every part of it testify that we are a pure and holy sacrifice to thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of the forgiveness of sins from Psalm 103 says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he does remove our transgressions from us. Would you stand together and let's sing the song of praise in Christ alone. Would you stand?
ordained prayer for us that we can come to him, not only ask him things, but to tell him things of his greatness and his wonder and all the blessings that he has given to us. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And this morning as we gather together, I'd like to um, recite together the Lord's Prayer, and then I'd like to lead us in a season of pastoral prayer for you for the needs of the church for the needs of this country as well let's pray together would you join me as we pray the lord's prayer together our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we bow in your presence this morning and we thank you that you are the God who hears our prayers. You have said to us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You have told us in the New Testament that we are to come asking, seeking, and knocking, and the door would be open. You have said to us in your word that we are to call upon you and you will show us great and mighty things, things which we do not know. Lord, that knowledge is too wonderful for us. Our minds cannot comprehend it how the God of all universe who controls and ordains all things after the counsel of his will would listen to us. But it's your pleasure. And we come, Father, in worship to give you praise, to give you glory. We ask, Father, that your name would be glorified as you are the sovereign God in the midst of this world of affairs. Father, we see on the evening news much evil We hear of wars in Ukraine. We hear of demonstrations in our own country. We hear of earthquakes. We hear of sin around this world that's devastating. And we know, Father, that you are concerned about your people. And nothing has surprised you. You are the mighty God. You are powerful in your being. We would bow today, Father, to pray for our country. We thank you for the Supreme Court and the decision that they made this past week as it's very controversial in this country. 
We pray, Father, that you would bring us back to the teaching of what your word teaches us about life. And we pray, Father, for healing in this nation. And we pray for your church as it unifies and goes out and and ministers across this world to mothers who are with caring children, for adoption agencies. God, we pray a hedge of protection. We thank you that the life in the womb is sacred. You have said that to us in your word in many times. And we ask, Father, that you would use this to bring our nation back to you. We pray, Father, for the war that's going on in Ukraine and for the church that's there and the seminary that's there that many of us even know Clay Quarterman and Darlene Quarterman who've had to leave that area. God, would you just protect that church and those believers in this assault? We pray, Father, for Pastor Jeff Birch, Evie, is there a way on vacation? Thank you for calling them here. We pray, Father, that you would give them rest during this time of way, away. We pray, Father, that you would cause this ministry here under his leadership to flourish, that people would come to this place and know that Jesus is here, lifted up high, lofty. We pray, Father, for your protection for him and his family as they travel and come back refreshed. We pray, Father, for Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Thank you, Father, for the new faces that are here that we see. Thank you, Father, for the older ones who have been here since its founding. And Father, we ask that you would continue to use this church as a light in this community that so desperately needs it. We pray, Father, just for the missionaries that this church supports. We thank you that that team of missionaries has grown every year. We thank you, Father, for what they are doing in various ministries around the world. We pray, Father, that you would use this church as a church that would literally have a ministry throughout the entire universe. Father, we bow in your presence and we pray for the those that are in this church that are hurting and suffering those that are ill we think of doug hesse this morning and battling cancer we think father of the porter family and tom and susan and their health issues father there are others you know i don't but you do There are those here this morning, Father, that are suffering from anxiety attacks, from diseases, from COVID, from depression. Lord, you know it all. And we come to the one who is able to give us peace in the midst of these storms of our lives. Father, would you use this church as a place that people come and know that Jesus is a real and alive here in our singing, in our worship, in our giving, in our reaching out to our neighbors who desperately need the good news of the gospel. We pray, Father, for the officers of this church and the elders and the deacons and the women in the church ministries 
And so many people here that do so many things that never get acknowledged. Lord, we do it to you for your glory, your praise. And now, Father, would you bless our worship as we continue to worship you. We thank you for the privilege we have of doing that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord if you would like to give an offering to the Lord.
you. Would you please be seated? I want to tell you it's a real privilege and joy to be back at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. It's always good to see people that I've known for 20 plus years and some new faces as well and just to see how the Lord is blessing this ministry and just hearing such good things about it and I'm just so encouraged and appreciate the opportunity once again to come and and be here with you. I apologize my wife Nancy is not able to be with me today. Uh, She heard that a better preacher was in Milledgeville so she's down there which that's not hard to do. (laughs) No actually she uh, got a call last night from a church and uh, they uh, their pianist has COVID and asked her if she could fill in at the last minute, so that's, that's her story anyway, I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> Let me invite your attention to the Word of God in the book of Luke and the 8th chapter and the 22nd verse. Luke chapter 8 and verse 22 through verses 25. Let me remind you that This is God's Word that we're going to be reading this morning. It's not like reading a newspaper. This is truth. God's speaking to us. And anytime God speaks to us and we open His Word, we need to listen very diligently because God's speaking to our hearts. He wants something to happen. And so notice the Word of God in Luke chapter 8 and verses 22. And one day he got into the boat with his disciples... And he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out and they sailed. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would feed your people from your word this morning. That, Lord, you would be gracious and give us understanding. Thank you for inspiring the word of God for us. We ask now that you would open our ears, open our eyes, that we would see truth and not only see it but obey it. Father, I pray that you would give me strength this morning, that the Holy Spirit would guide my thoughts and my words, and that your word would never return void. Thank you, Father, for what you will do, for it's about your kingdom, not about us, not about a reputation. It's about you. Would you feed your flock from your word? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're like me, there are some days when you just come home and you're exhausted. 
You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to do anything around the house. You just want to put your feet up, and you just want to get away from everything. Well, Jesus had days like that too. That may surprise you. This text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning from the Gospel of Luke is also recorded for us in Matthew and in Mark. And if you look at those other texts of Scriptures, you kind of get more information about what Luke doesn't tell us. It was an exhausting day for Jesus. He had been teaching parables to the multitude all day long. His mother and his half-brothers had come to him and tried to have a meeting with him and couldn't get through the crowd. And he said, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of the Father. And he was teaching people. And by evening, Mark tells us that he was exhausted and tired. He wanted to take his disciples into the boat to get to the other side. Now, we live in a society today of virtual reality, whatever that means. You can go to your grandson's home and put on some goggles, and you can see things that other people can't see. And I'm going to do that a little bit for you this morning and give you an illustration to help you understand the place of where this is taking place. Now, you've got to use your imagination, if you would, for a minute. Imagine that I'm drawing, since I don't have a whiteboard or, as older people say, a chalkboard. You remember those? Blackboard? Some of you, somebody, what in the world is that? No clue what that is. Imagine this is a map I'm going to draw you. It's a map of Israel, and it looks kind of like this, and it goes down. Now, this is Israel. Down here is Egypt. And within Israel... There are the mountain ranges surrounding the upper part called Galilee. It's divided into the sections of Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Within Judea is where Jerusalem is. Over here, and I'm drawing this so that you will see it. Can y'all see this okay? Okay? You're not telling the truth. You can't see anything. There is a coastline, that is the Mediterranean coast. Down here is a little city called Joppa. You remember that from the Old Testament from Jonah, who was thrown overboard there? This is all a coastline here, okay? Over here is Jordan. Over here is Lebanon. There's a mountain range at the top of Galilee with Mount Hermon up here at the top, it's 9,200 feet in summit. It's a large mountain. Below that mountain range is a lake. Let's pretend this is the lake. There's water there. That lake is 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. It's called the Lake of Genezareth. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. And there's a city on that lake that was a, a um, fisherman's um, society it's called Capernaum. And it would be located about right here. That's Jesus' 
headquarters to all this area of Galilee. Now follow me here. Peter had a home in Capernaum. He and his, his wife and Jesus went there to heal his mother-in-law. Do you remember that? There they are. Now I tell you all that because they're going to get in the boat and they're going to go to the other side over here where the Gentiles are. Luke doesn't tell us this, but Mark tells us that after this exhausting day, Jesus tells his disciples, get into the boat. We're going to the other side. Now let's pick up the text in Luke chapter 8. Now one day he got into the boat with his disciples and said, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now whose idea is it to get into the boat? Jesus's. Keep that in mind. So they set out and they sailed and he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now let's just stop there for a minute. Remember me telling you the mountainside of Hermon and also how low the lake is? The, the lake of Genezareth is also called the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water. It's gone by several different names throughout the, throughout the history because uh, politicians changed the name and the people that are living around the lake changed the name. To the Jewish, and Matthew calls it a sea, which is a body of water to the Jewish mind, Luke, who's writing to the Gentiles, he calls it a lake. And I gave you the dimensions. It's 13 miles north to south and 7 miles. It's a big body of water. It is the second in elevation lowest body of water in the entire earth. Right there. The first is a bit lower than that, and that's the Dead Sea. It's even lower. And between the Sea of Galilee... And the Dead Sea is a river, the Jordan River. You remember that from the Bible where Jesus was baptized, where John the Baptist was baptizing, where Joshua crossed the Jordan River with the armies? A lot of history there. And I tell you all this to tell you that when the atmosphere changes between the months of August, September, October, and November, and the cold, cold air comes off Mount Hermon and it comes down onto the lake. And the water from the lake is warm. Creates a lot of storms. Matter of fact, I looked on the internet the other day just to see how many people drowned last year in the country of Israel. It's 44 people. Now, some of those were on the seacoast. Some of them were probably in a swimming pool. We don't know. It's a dangerous place. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know about things. For instance, we know that Jesus spent three years of his adult life in ministry. But Dr. Simon Kistemacher, one of my New Testament professors at Reformed Theological Seminary many years ago, did a study on the timeline of Jesus' ministries. And he said to us, he said, if you take all the events in Jesus' life, all the healings, all the teaching, you take them all together and everything that he did, and you put it back to back without any time lapses between them, you're only looking at three months of his life. That's incredible. 
there's a lot of things that we just don't know, and I can't wait to get to heaven to ask him. For instance, Jesus, what did you do between the time you were 12 years old and you were in the synagogue and you were teaching the rulers and they were amazed until you're 30 years old and you're starting your ministry? What was it like to live with brothers and sisters? How did they treat you? Did Mary ever give you a spanking for anything? What would it have been like to be the older brother and be perfect? Nothing wrong. How did you really handle it when the enemies came and said those things about it? Or that day that you went to your hometown in Nazareth and you would have been the, the, the boy coming back to and they coming back home and all the celebration that you were anticipating and they were doing to take you out onto, onto the mountainside and throw you off the cliff because they hated you. A lot of things that we don't know. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us everything that we need to know but not everything that we want to know. And here we have the situation of Jesus in Capernaum. Prosperous city. Peter's home was there. Jesus needed a break from the crowds. He was tired. You ever think about the humanity of Jesus? Let me just give you a couple of snapshots here if I can. I, I don't have time this morning to really devote a lot of time to this, but if you would go with me to the book of John in the first chapter, the first verse, John says this, In the beginning was, what? The Word. The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that verse has confused many people for many, many years. But we get some clarification in verse 14. And the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld His glory. Glory is that of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word took on flesh. We call that the incarnation. That means this, that Jesus was a real human being, had a real human nature, and also was God at the same time. To say it this way, he was God wrapped in flesh. One of the things that bothers me sometimes about Christmas as much as I enjoy celebrating Christmas is I don't think people get the real meaning of what it's really about. I mean, a lot of Christians don't even get it. I hear things like, we're celebrating the baby being born in the manger. Well, that's partly true. But there were a lot of babies that were born during that time. Matter of fact, Herod wanted to kill all the children the male children two years and younger, and that's why Mary and Joseph went down to Egypt to spare Jesus' life. What Christmas is really about is not about a baby being born, although that's important. It's about God becoming incarnate, taking on flesh, being a human being, setting aside for a period of time attributes, still being God, 
And we see that right here in John. Let me just show you a sneak preview before we go any further in the fourth chapter. Jesus is in his ministry and he goes to Samaria and he, he finds a woman that's by the well. And you know the story that Samaritans and Jews didn't get along at all. We'll take the time to go into the reasons why. In verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. You ever think about Jesus getting thirsty? Or chapter 11, Jesus' best friend has died. His name was Lazarus. In John chapter 11, we read that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Lazarus passed away. We don't know why. Jesus was out of town. Mary and uh, tried to reach him. Mary and Martha tried to reach him. He came late. He'd been dead for four days. And uh, we read an interesting thing there in John chapter 11 about the resurrection when Jesus says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He had feelings, emotions in his spirit, and he's greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. We see another human characteristic of Jesus, the shortest verse in all the Bible. Verse 25, 35, excuse me. Jesus wept. He wept. Sometimes when I preach funerals, and I, uh, it's always a difficult thing to do emotionally for me. And uh, I've had people say to me, well, I'm just not going to cry. I'm not, I'm going to hold it all in. And I can understand that. I want to tell you, Jesus cried. He wept. He wept. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. So in, in Luke chapter 8, the disciples are in a boat. They're going across the sea. And there is a storm that occurs. Now let me remind you who is with Jesus in one of these boats, Mark tells us there were several boats. Luke tells us there was one boat. You remember Peter and his occupation, fisherman, his business? You remember James and John, sons of Zebedee, their fishing business? And you know where their business occurred? Right on this body of water. They knew every inch of this water. And this night they're in a boat with Jesus and they're seeing something they have never seen before. Interesting. I can only imagine what they felt. Mark tells us that the waves were literally breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up with water. What's Jesus doing? Don't you love it? He's back there on the stern asleep. I don't know how you do that. I can't even sleep on an airplane. I feel like I got to help the pilot keep it up in the air till we land, you know. He's back there asleep. Why is he sleeping? I'll give you two reasons. Dr. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on this, says, 
Some have suggested that his sleeping through the storm indicates a placid tranquility that Jesus enjoyed in his inner spirit. After all, he was not a man who suffered from anxiety, which is a sin. And being without sin, Jesus enjoyed the kind of inner peace that is known to fallen human beings. He didn't know what it was, sin. But I think another reason is this. He was just exhausted. He was tired. He was a human like you and me, and he needed nourishment. He, matter of fact, after he rose in his body, he goes to the disciples, and one of the things he does is eat with them. Nourishment. There's a lot of things about heaven that I don't understand. We read many places about his human nature. Luke wants to know that he was asleep. Why does he tell us that? Why does Luke even have to mention Jesus was asleep? Why didn't he just say, Jesus, get up and, 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 the, and stills the storm? Because he wants you to understand, listen, what you're going through, he understands. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way which we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. I am thankful that my Savior understands me much better than I understand myself. And when I am tired and when I am cranky and when I am anxious, he understands that. Matter of fact, in John chapter 17, as he's praying for the disciples and praying for the world, and he's praying for those that will believe on him through their ministry. He's praying that they would be a powerful force in the world. And it's interesting that John uses a Greek term there that means he prayed yesterday, he will pray tomorrow, and he will continue to pray. So I don't know what it is that you're dealing with today, but God's not surprised by it. I love that little illustration from the book of Daniel. Don't you love that book? It's the third chapter where Nebuchadnezzar, the king, says he built a 90-foot tall statue of gold, and he says to the people, you will bow down, and you will worship this statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, not going to happen not going to happen. We will worship God. We will not worship you. You know the story. Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, I'm going to bind you up. All three of you are going to be thrown into the furnace. You throw them into the furnace. Hotter than he had been before. Comes back later, he looks inside the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're not even singed. And the fourth person. And he's scratching his head saying, wait a minute. We threw three in there. Who's the fourth? Biblical scholars differ. Some say it was an angel. But some say it's the theophany of a pre-incarnate Christ who's with his people. I don't know about you, 
But I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that as I go through this life and I see what our country is going through with inflation and what it costs to go to the grocery store. I need to be reminded that every time I go and I try to put gas into my tank of my car, I need to know when I go to the mailbox and I see those bills and I say, God, you know, God often takes us to the place where we have nowhere else to look up. John Haggai said it this way. He said, attempt something so great for God that unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. Can I say it again? Attempt something so great for God that unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. Nobody can get credit for it except God. You been there? Some of you I know are dealing with it, and it's hard. Let me give you a couple of take-home points, things that we do, we can do to encourage us. Number one, number one, sometimes when the storm comes into your life, remember that you are in the very center of God's will. Who was it that said to the disciples, let's get into the boat and go to the other side? It was Jesus. Did he know the storm was going to happen? Sure he did. But he had something to teach those men that they otherwise would not have known. And you can be in the very center of God's will and you think the world is going to fall apart and that's exactly where God has you. One of the things that I've enjoyed in ministries for over 40 years is going to hospitals. Because I tell you, when you go to the person's bed and you pray, there's some serious things going on. Here it is. Secondly, understand that Jesus understands because he has a human nature as well as a divine nature. When you're tired and you pray, he understands that. When you're hungry, he understands that. When you're thirsty, he understands that. When you get bad news about a friend, he understands that because he's been there. Thirdly, we're to draw near to Jesus as we go through the trial. The trial is not there to push us away. The trial is there to bring us close to him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 through 9 says that even though through this trial you greatly rejoice, if necessary you have been distressed by these various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. Did you hear that? Precious than gold, which perishes through tested fire, may be found to the result of the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. See what Peter's saying? The trial you go through, God uses it to purify the faith. These disciples needed to know that. As you look here in the book of Luke, can you imagine what it must have been like as these sailors who knew this lake very well are soaking wet with the rain 
They probably got water in the boat up to their knees. It's coming over. They're thinking they're going to drown. And Jesus gets up from his sleep and says, Peace, be still. It's like a sheet of glass. The wind stops. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that boat in that conversation at that moment? What would you have asked him? Well, I'll tell you what Luke says. Who are you? Who are you that even the winds and the sea obey? You see, the purpose that these disciples needed to learn was about building their faith. Building their faith so that they grow. I was watching the Weather Channel a little while back. It's a fascinating story about how meteorologists scientists study tornadoes. And they have uh, learned they can fly over them and they can detect certain things about windstorms. But it's more effective for them if they go into the tornado itself. And so they have these tornado crews that go before the tornado and they set up cones in the area they think it's going to hit. And they have sensors on these cones so that they can determine the wind speeds and amount of rain and all these things. And then when they determine exactly where the storm is going to hit, they have this mobile armored unit. It's like a huge tank full of computers. And they bring it right into the path of the tornado. It has these arms that come out to secure it. And these scientists sit in the hull of this thing and they watch this tornado as it comes across. They like to have that job. You know why they do that? Because they learn things going through the storm. Otherwise, they would never know. God has you where he has you. As difficult as it may be, because there are things that he wants to teach you that you would grow in grace, admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, I have to say this in this crowd. Do you know this Savior? Do you know him personally? Have you ever come to the point where you've bowed your knee to him and said, I want you to be my Lord and my King and forgive me for my sins because I want to be your child. John chapter 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become sons of God to those who believe on his name. May God bless. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, Father, for being our God that you have said you never leave us, you never forsake us. Even when we're going through the difficult storms of life, which these disciples were doing, they came to the other shore, different people. Lord, would you do that in our lives? And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us, encourage us in this journey. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together and let's sing hymn number 468, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Hymn number 468. picnic exit through these doors and to the right. I want to say a blessing for the food and then a benediction for the people and blessing of God. Would you pray? Father, we thank you for the provisions that you give us. We pray for those that are not nearly as blessed as we are. And we thank you, Father, for blessing us. We ask that you would nourish us. We pray, Father, for festivities and our fellowship time. We thank you. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne. To him be all glory and dominion forever and ever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're just...